We are thrilled to have Derek from Bold Fam on the podcast today and to hear about his recent interactions with child welfare. Join us today on Fostering the Future. Welcome to the Fostering the Future podcast, a show about all things child welfare, dependency, adoption, and foster care. Here are your hosts, veterans in the world of child welfare, Jack and Kat. We believe that every human has incredible and equal value regardless of what side of the courtroom we sit on. We hope that everyone feels welcome and accepted here on Fostering the Future. Make sure you follow us on Facebook or Instagram as Fostering the Future Podcast, or check us out on our website at fosteringthefuturepodcast.org. This is Jack, and I'm here with Kat, and I'm also here with Derek today. You may recognize his voice from Instagram or TikTok. He's probably made you laugh a time or two. Welcome, Derek. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got started on social media? Um, so I used to do stand-up comedy. I got started like 15 years ago doing stand-up comedy. And I did it pretty consistently for several years until my mid-20s. I got into corporate America, got like a, a real job and started growing at it and becoming a VP of sales for this big tech company. And I kind of like abandoned that whole comedy side of my life because uh, I thought, all right, grow up. Let's just be an adult. After I realized that corporate America was not at all what I thought it would be, right? Like I accomplished every goal I ever had as a kid. I wanted to make a lot of money. I wanted to be successful. And then you sit there and you have everything that you ever thought you wanted. And you're like, oh, I feel like something's missing. So I started like slowly unraveling life a little bit. And one of the things that I stumbled upon was I got back into social media. I made a funny Instagram post, I think, for my chocolate company for St. Patrick's Day. It didn't go like viral, but it got enough attention where I was like, oh, maybe I'm maybe I'm still funny. And from there, I just like started posting on TikTok, just absolutely like silly, unhinged behavior, making skits and just being me. And after I think probably like seven or eight months of posting on TikTok, I had one video go viral. I was returning a card at Enterprise, which is ridiculous, but um, went viral on that video and just kind of kept going and never quit. And eventually, I found myself this little niche in like family content, but probably like uh, yeah, alternative family content where I'm actually talking about like I'm poking fun at like the stress of being a parent and like all the demands that our kids have. And I found like a really, really cool audience of people that appreciate the normalcy that I bring to, to this whole parenting thing. What would going viral be? You know, I remember that was actually a question that me and my wife were talking about at that enterprise uh-huh. that went viral. You know, I think day one, it was posted within the first like six hours. It was at like a few hundred thousand views. And I was like, oh, is this viral? And my wife was like, I don't know if that's viral. And then by the end of the day, it was like two million views. And I was like, all right, this is definitely viral. That video ended up getting 25 million views on just TikTok, not to mention Instagram, Facebook reposts that other people did. I was on the news, not me, but like the the news like picked up the story without me just being like, yo, this guy tried to return a car to Enterprise. 25 million, I think, is like, I, that was ultra viral. I would say 
probably anything over a million views is is a little viral. I have like almost 800,000 followers on TikTok and not every video by any means is getting like hundreds of thousands of views, but the dopamine hits a little bit different when you've had like hundreds of videos get millions of views. Like it just, it's not this like fly by night viral video anymore. It's like, oh, I have an audience and they like what I do. So the, the threshold increases a little bit. It's definitely weird when that happens, especially when the comments start flying. Like whether they're good or bad, it's like so stressful. You know People what I've actually about. loved about it is that it's forced me to reckon with why I do what I do. Because I remember that enterprise video that got 25 million views and all these comments and they were all like overwhelmingly positive for the most part. But you sit there and it's like, oh, is this my new stuff? Like, do I have to do this now? And of course, I was like 30 at the time. And it's like, I have three, two kids at the time. I'm married. I have this job. It's like, I'm not going to go to rental car agencies and answer their phone for them. Like, I'm not going to be that guy. That's not content that's for me. So it like forced me to stick to what I love doing. And it was really hard, dude, to go from this video of 25 million, you know, you instantly think like, oh, damn, I did it. And then the next video you post is a thousand views. Yeah. And it's like, it just, it just back to the grind. And I love it. I love that I went through it because it, it helped me learn like who I wanted to be. And it forced me to tell myself, I'm only going to post content that I like. And if other people like it too, cool. But I'm not going to like make my content because I think people are going to like it. That was a big thing for me. Well, I'm really glad you've gone viral because of the <laughs> most recent thing that you've gone through in your life because it's allowed you to kind of reach your audience. Uh, Derek, can you tell us a little bit about your family? My wife's name is Brooklyn. We got married seven years ago, uh, but we've been together for about 10 years. Uh, and then we have three kids. Our oldest, Landon, is 13 from a previous relationship. Um, and then... Together, Brooklyn and I biologically share uh, Ophelia, who is seven, and Rowan, who is uh, 19 months. And ironically, Ophelia's birthday is two days after me and Brooklyn's wedding anniversary. That's exciting. <laughs> Can you walk us through what happened with your youngest son recently? Yeah. Um, my wife and I have this probably overly cautious route of like, if kids, if our kids have like a fever for three or four days, we'll usually take them in to get seen, mm -hmm. um, usually at um, our local urgent care. This time in particular was a little bit different because we had called a like a nursing hotline first, just as a way, hey, let's just give them a call. And they recommended this pediatric urgent care that's in our area. We'd never been there before. But just going off the recommendation, up until that point, Rome was like super normal, literally like eating, drinking, playing, yelling. You wouldn't know he was ill other than he had this persistent fever for a few days. So we take him into the urgent care. Uh, we get in pretty quickly. The nurse talks to us, you know, gives, takes his vitals, all the, you know, I think normal nurse stuff. And then uh, a few minutes later, the doctor came in and sat down in front of Rowan. She listened to his chest, looked at his ears, looked at his throat and said, Hey, everything looks fine. You know, his lungs sound clear. His ears look clear. His throat is a little red, but that could be from the fever up until that point. Business as usual, right? Like as parents going into a doctor, especially for a fever, we know, you know, the deal for the most part. It's like, I'm kind of looking for assurances at this point. Not that I think my kid has like tumors in his eyes. You know, it's like, just tell me if I'm missing something. But that is where everything diverged and went a way different path than Brooklyn and I are accustomed to because she just sat in her chair and looked at us and said, this could be anything. 
you should take him to the emergency room and have him evaluated for pneumonia, blood infections, or UTI. Uh, take him to get a chest x-ray, blood work done, a urinalysis, then stopped talking and like passed the ball to us. I was literally speechless for a second. Like I didn't, it was so alien from anything we'd ever experienced with other doctors before. And I just, the only thing I could muster up was what? And she just repeated herself. And I was sitting there and we were quiet again. And, and I looked at her and I said, this felt really transactional. And we all stood up and me and my wife left. We got to the doctor's door. She took a right. We took a left. We waved goodbye to the front desk and we got in our car. So they didn't do like a strep swab. They didn't do like a COVID swab, a flu swab, or like any of those things, which are like common childhood illnesses that would cause a fever. Nothing. That you'd, that you'd want to know about because you have other children in the home. Nothing. Didn't offer it. She literally looked at his ears, his, his throat, and his lungs and sat back and said, verbatim, this could be anything. And then like literally through the kitchen sink of possibilities of us. And I'm not, I'm not a doctor. However, if she just listened to his lungs and then throws out pneumonia, I'm starting to think like, hold the fuck on, dude. Like, wouldn't you have any other symptoms other than a fever, if this was like pneumonia, wouldn't you hear some congestion in his lung? You know, whatever, right? Um, anything. And that was where the confusion for Brooklyn and I came in because it was only a fever. She didn't even ask us questions. She didn't say, has he been drinking? Has he been eating? Has he been acting? No questions. Just looked at him and ah, go to the ER. And it was so nonchalant. It wasn't like, oh my God, go to, you know, it was like, ah, fuck it. Go to the ER. So we gave her the fuck it back and said, this is really transactional. And we walked out. What this is blown into is so wild because as a parent who does not practice medicine, who is not a doctor, I can't, how am I supposed to make informed decisions with that kind of subjectivity and care? How am I supposed to have taken children to doctors for 13 years of, of my life at varying levels of illness? And I've never, ever seen or received that level of care before and i'm supposed to just blindly follow direction absolutely not that doesn't sound like any expectation in doctor's offices across this country and it was ridiculous kids get fevers kids get runny noses red throat and i've never had a doctor say anything to a fever as long as there aren't other obviously. Yeah, exactly. If he had lesions on his throat and shit, like, yeah, dude, get out of here. Go to the if hospital. If he had stomach pain or she's suggesting pneumonia when it sounds like the lungs were clear because if they weren't, why would she be suggesting a UTI? Yeah. You know, Trust me, I've, I've tried to find, I, I, I try to be very objective in like, especially with like healthcare. If right. she, in some crazy far off land, if this woman sat back and said, well, you know, I don't hear anything, but man, that looks weird. You know, and whatever pointed to something on his body, you should take him to the ER. We would have gone to the ER. The next, the, we would have gotten into the vehicle and driven to the ER. But the fact that she just did such a minor assessment to him and then kind of nonchalantly brushed us off to the emergency room. I, I was like, clearly, you just want to get to the next patient. Like, you don't want to deal with this. Mm -hmm. So thanks, but no thanks and left. In the parking lot of this facility, literally the first thing I did was leave a Google review at how just like ridiculous this was. And then 15 minutes later, I click send on an email to their corporate like customer service email, like in depth 
being like, this shit sucked, dude. I asked for my money back. That's how bad the visit was. I wanted a refund for the visit because I felt so undercared for. This is where the story gets fucking bananas. Okay. Because three hours later, Child Protective Services is knocking on my door looking for a severely dehydrated child. Now, I'll quickly rewind to the care that we got. She didn't do any assessment for dehydration that I could visually see. Looked at his ears, looked at his throat, and listened to his chest. And now, three hours later, we have CPS at our door looking for a severely dehydrated child. Not adding up. It seems like at an urgent care, a dehydrated child would likely get some care before they left. I've had so many people message me, comment me, email me with screenshots of their own front page that says they treat dehydration. Oh my gosh. There's breakdowns at every step of this lady's story. And it's like, did they offer him a water or an ice pop or anything? Nothing. One of the pediatric urgent cares that I go to, the first thing they do is um, give like one of those freezer pops to the kids, which really they helps. insurance like $800 for that freezer. I'm sure they do. <laughs> this is a really good opportunity to potentially devil's advocate for myself of like some breakdowns that happen. You know, when she volleyballed the take him to the ER for all this bullshit and I didn't know what to say. So just asked her what? And she just repeated herself again. She didn't enter, she didn't welcome any dialogue about what was going on, right? Like just silence. Like, I don't know what she wanted me to say. Like, yes, sir. Like, I don't know what she was looking for in that instance. But the only, I felt like it was done. She gave what she wanted to give for care in normal circumstances. First of all, I prepaid for the visit. So that's out of the norm for how, like our normal urgent care, we go, we get seen, we get diagnosed, we go pay, we check out, we leave. So in this instance, I had already paid. I feel like the visit is over. We get up and leave. I didn't get anything because what the hell is there to even get? Uh, go go to ER. It's like, I don't, okay, I heard you. I don't need a piece of paper to tell me that. I don't know in some far off distant land, if I had just sat there and maybe volleyed back to her, like, what are you saying? Give me some more context here. I, I don't know. Maybe does she like do some more tests and ask about his eating and drinking? I don't know. It's an alternate reality. That's where all of this just doesn't make any sense to me because in that room, she never gave us any concerns about taking him to the emergency room. It was just do as you're told. And after reading reviews and hearing stories from individuals that have dealt with her, that is her modus operandi. Do as you're told. I don't want to hear parents talking to me about what they think, what they want to do. I'm the doctor. You do what I tell you to do. Unfortunately, for both of us, I don't operate in that way. Like I'm never the, you're never going to rub my belly. You know, like I'm not going to roll over and like, if I have a concern about Rowan and I have a concern about what you're telling me, I'm always going to speak up. And I don't think that parents should live in fear that if they speak up to a doctor, they're going to have CPS knocking on their door three hours later. Can you tell us again how old Rowan is? Uh, 19 months. And how hot, like what was his fever? Like, I, I don't think we ever asked that. Um, it hovered around like 100, 101. So I mean, he had spikes, of course, but he was sitting pretty consistent around 100, 100. You know what I said about like the whole viral video thing and you need to hold yourself accountable, like not go down these rabbit holes. I'm trying Mm -hmm. my same to do the same with some of the negative comments I'm getting. Like, this doesn't make fucking sense. You're an idiot. She said, go to the ER. Why didn't you go? It's like the story sounds bananas, right? (laughs) Like you would you would never imagine the reality to be a doctor, a 30 year veteran in medicine to act 
in this way. So either this lady was having a horrendous day or she is a serial abuser of her position and just finally met someone with the, with the courage and the ability to fucking scream out loud. Yeah. In the same seven day rolling window, like previously, I think maybe like four, like four days prior, our daughter, our seven year old daughter also had the same kind of, she had fever for a few days. The difference with her and same, I mean, the fever is always the thing. I don't know why the hell we do it. And I'm starting to wonder if we're the idiots here, but like four days, three days, it's like, let's just take them and get checked out. She also had some stomach pain. And that was the bigger red flag for me is like, she was up one night and she was like, it hurts. So the next day we took her to our normal urgent care. And actually the same thing happened. And this is not pediatric. This is just our normal kind of, we've always gone to the same rapid med urgent care. The guy spent, you know, 20, 30 minutes evaluating her and said, I wasn't there. My wife was. And he said, listen, we have this assessment that we go down and I I could only get through 50% of these checked off. The other 50% that could be appendicitis, like it could be appendicitis, totally deferred to Brooklyn, you know, said, hey, it's 50-50. It's up to you if you want to monitor her for another day or so or take her in. We took her right into the emergency room. The emergency like intake people spent five minutes with her and they were like, all right, she's totally good. Like she was doing jumping jacks and shit. Yeah. So they were like, this is not appendicitis. You guys are good. This sounds like a stomach bug. It sent us home. In retrospect, I'm so thankful that that even happened. I mean, I hate that my daughter was hurting, but like when you have CPS knocking on your door about medical neglect, it's like, hold on, bro. Like, let me go collect all of my goddamn receipts that we yep. actively always pursue medicine. This lady was a nutcase and doesn't belong in medicine. As parents, we are the first line of triage. Right. We are the people that look at our children's symptoms and we make the decision first. Is this a Band-Aid problem? Is this a go take a nap problem? Is this a here's an Advil? Pro-? Like we triage. Our triage of Rowan was let's take him to an urgent care to get looked at. When we left that urgent care, in my opinion, we had not yet seen an urgent care. Right. Like that did not constitute a visit. Her recommendation was meaningless to us because it again, it didn't constitute a visit that we're accustomed to and what we thought Rowan deserved. So there was no emergency for us. We went and got a coffee and went home. Rowan played for 30 minutes and then it was his nap time. And that whole drive home, obviously, I'm stewing. I'm like, this is bullshit. There's actually a video of Brooklyn recording me in the line getting coffee. And she's like, this old man leaving, you know, writing an email to the corporate team, like making fun of me. Haha, Brooklyn. Good thing that I did leave that goddamn email. We go and we take some nap. And again, we had to like go back and triage. And our determination was let's give him another day. And if it's still feverish tomorrow, we will take him to our normal urgent care and have him looked at. Unfortunately, we never got the opportunity to do that on our own accord because uh, two hours later, Child Protective Services was knocking on our door, um, you know, looking for this critically ill and dehydrated child. Within two hours. I mean, she had to make the call right away. No, she you didn't. Know, I have the medical hours. records. I got the medical records. It's in there time stamped that it was an hour and a half later that she made the call. So it was actually wow. CPS, CPS responded to that report in under an hour. That's unheard of. That doesn't happen here. And it certainly doesn't happen for much more severe situations. Dude, that's what I'm, I think that is just my fifth piece of evidence of her downfall in all this. They responded too quickly. Because to, yeah. to have a report for a critically ill child and then CPS shows up on this priority, holy shit, urgent matter. And Rowan's laughing at our dog in my, in my, they were actually still napping. You know, I had to go wake them up. You know, Brooklyn gets up, Rowan's obviously a little sleepy, but like 
laughing at Goose, pointing at our dog Goose, and like obviously not in need of emergent care. It's number five on my list of you made a horrible decision with why you just retaliated against us. Well, and if it was an hour after you were there, obviously she wasn't that concerned if she waited an hour. But also it's proof that she had the opportunity to see the Google review and probably got notice of that uh, email that was sent before she sent it. It definitely introduces some threads of potential like severe, Mm -hmm. uh, severe uh, like criminal activity. I mean, I, I don't even know if we'll ever know. Right. If, if that's ever going to be possible to be proven, because then you, I have to retain an attorney. And, and I don't know if that, I don't know if there's an attorney that would even pick this up. However, there are too many anomalies in this story for it to be the doctor was right. Like there's just, there's too much weird stuff that, that happened within all this. And I'm still terrified. All of this that I just said, and I'm still shaking in my boots, which is crazy. Well, because there are people with power who aren't afraid to abuse it. Who have become acquainted with you. Yeah. Well, thank you. That didn't help me. (laughs) I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You should have some chocolate. (laughs) As a foster parent, we sometimes have uh, false reports called in on us um, when parents aren't happy with how case management or whoever is treating them. As someone who has been through a CPI abuse call before, I think I'm about a year and a half away from when that happened, if not two years. Um, and I still, I, I get so nervous when there's a knock at the door and I, I don't expect yeah. it. I, I'm just so like, glad I worked with her because obviously I have no experience working with CPS ever. The, and the only thing the general public knows about with CPS is like, don't talk to them. Like that's all you ever hear is the horror stories. So she's knocking on our door. I thought it was a door-to-door salesperson. The only thing that made me feel weird was how close she was. The door I was like, mm, usually door-to-door people take several respectful steps back. She was right there. It almost feels like a dream. I'm with Child Protective Services. You know, we I have an emergency P1, priority one case. I need to see Rowan. And I was like, what? What, dude? Brooklyn and I, like, adore our children, dude. Like, we love these kids, dude. So to have that, it's almost like, hold on. You're at the wrong goddamn house. Like, what are you talking about? You're CPS. You know, you and Brooklyn are alleged perpetrators. And it's like these big words. And I'm like, what is going on? She's like, sign this paper. I'm like, I'm not signing a goddamn thing. What are you talking about? (laughs) So she was like, can I just come in? And I was like, I'll come out. And I went outside. I shut the door. I was not rude. I was definitely apprehensive. I was like, tell me what the hell is going on here. And she finally starts going into it. It's like, listen, we got a report that Rowan is severely dehydrated and needs medical attention. And I was like, are you shitting me? And in that moment, I was like, this was the goddamn urgent care. Like, that was my next sentence. This is the goddamn... And I just grabbed... I was like, hold on a second. I grabbed my phone. I was like, I just left a Google review for them. I find my email. I was like, I just wrote this email. Like, this was... She didn't say any of this shit to us. Like, this is ridiculous. But as she starts explaining to me, like, what's going on, it, it starts dawning on me. Like, this lady that's here to do her job believes based on this report that I have a dying child pretty much in this house that like needs emergency care. And I'm just so glad that I was like able to like come to that realization and go in. And I told her, I was like, yo, my wife is going to be so mad at me. They're sleeping. I go in, I go into my bedroom. I can freaking still, it's like vivid in my brain. I was like, babe, CPS is at our, like, you need to get up. CPS said that Rowan is in danger. And she was like, are you, are you fucking kidding me or whatever? So she gets up. We all go outside for a few minutes. She sees Rowan. 
it was super hot, dude. It was like 104 degrees. And my wife was like, let's go inside a tunnel. I was like, no, yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, letting the vampire in, you know, it's like, yeah. yeah. Um, we let her in. She stayed in the living room the whole time. And kind of, we just shared our story of like, yo, this is, this is what happened here. I was a little bit like reeling. I was like trying to call the urgent care and stuff. I probably looked like an absolute fool, but finally I couldn't get through. So I just sat down and we just started talking. We just started explaining, like we took our kitty as a fever. There's nothing. And she left. She was with us for maybe 15 minutes. She left. Then I, dude, I was like flabbergasted that this has happened because like in that moment, to have just left that appointment, to have just left the review, just left the email, and never been told any concerns, like tangible physical concerns, to then have a CPS at our door for a severely dehydrated child. I was so beside myself. I went back to the urgent care for this paper that I didn't get when I left. I walked in, I recorded the whole thing, not only for, for them, but to hold myself accountable. And I just recorded. I just said like, hey, I didn't say anything about CPS. I just said, hey, I realized that I left without my discharge papers. Could you get those for me? And the lady goes to the back for five minutes, finally comes back and gives me this paper. And I'm looking at it. It says, reason for visitor prognosis something, fever, dehydration. And I looked at this lady. I was like, can I talk to the doctor? Because she didn't say this to me in the room. And I'm curious like, what she did to like arrive at this diagnosis. And of course, I'm being facetious because I just lived the moment. She didn't do shit. <laughs> the lady goes back for 10 minutes. Maybe we had a back and forth like, hey, no, the doctor can't see you. And I was like, I can't ask the doctor about the care, like the diagnosis. She's been my child. I can't ask her how she arrived at that. She's like, well, I'll go talk to her, have a seat. And I just went and sat down. They called the police on me. Oh, my God. And I'm telling you, you can go watch the first video I posted on TikTok. I am as cool as a cucumber. I might be melting internally. But I know my action, me acting out, is not going to do anything for Rowan. It's not going to do anything for my family. I'm literally there seeking information. And it was a very civil interaction, right? If that's not fucking a little nefarious, I don't know what is. Okay, I can understand if me being there and they had just called CPS, maybe they had some concerns. So I can see that perspective a little bit after the fact. But I mean, I was in that building for 15 minutes, absolutely chill, like just asking questions. Uh, even with the cops there, the doctor would not talk to me. Because that's what the cop said. What do you want to do? And I was like, I just want to ask the doctor where she got this, like how she could have possibly gotten this diagnosis. Doesn't want to talk to me. So I left. I've seen this video twice now. I was shocked at how calm you were. There was nothing for me to be angry about. She'll get karma, whether it's legal or you know, whatever. She loses her job one day. Like it will come. I know the truth. So there was no reason for me to overreact. So when CPI did come out there, was it just one woman by herself? Like sheriff didn't come. No. So it was just the CPI and she came in and she saw Rowan. She literally told us that she was expecting to see a severely ill child. So obviously when you get there and you're expecting like some limp little baby and you get Rowan, who's like a tornado, you know, he, he's he playing football. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even realize that until days later that I actually captured some footage. I wasn't even thinking about it, but yeah, dude, like she left. She's like, all right, well, I mean, it, we weren't, we didn't like handshake and like hug or anything. Like we weren't besties, but like, I think she kind of, that was her first snip of like, what's going on here. I think it's clear which side of the camp I'm in in fight or flight, <laughs> you know, like when it comes to my family, I, this is the scariest shit we've ever gone through. And what compelled me, to start, what compelled me to go back, what compelled me to make the video is just how there's no recourse. This doctor 
feels so secure in her position that she lied. There's so many little moving pieces here. It's like, not only did she just provide like a four-year-old's level of care. Like if I walked in and had a toddler seeing us, I would have expected that level of care. That's one piece just completely pushing us off. But then to call CPS, there's three big pieces here. One, she gave us no care. Just pushed us off with all the smorgasbord of go get ER tests, which maybe if it was our first baby, like, oh shit, it's a doctor, but we've had three kids. Like, I know what we're looking for, dude. Like, this isn't my first rodeo and I've had hundreds of doctors that have preceded you. So like right there's my first red flag. Second red flag is severely dehydrated child she, when she never talked to me about anything about dehydration. Huge red flag, liar. Three, we finally got our hands on the medical report and she fabricated those. She said in those reports that we said that he had a decrease in activity, that he had a decrease in appetite. She noted him as having a weak cry. None of that shit occurred in our meeting. So how can someone be so evil? The only way that's possible is that she feels untouchable. And I don't care if it's just my finger that touches her, if it's just my fingertip that is able to pierce that veil and be like, we got close, bro. I don't know what the outcome is. I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe nothing. How terrifying is that? Maybe nothing will happen. But if anything, if 5 million views on TikTok and social media, I didn't ask. I'm actually not happy about this part. They got inundated with reviews from people that saw like one star reviews on multiple platforms. If two news articles, Dallas News and D Magazine, if anything, if that just pierces her a little bit and she's like, oh shit, maybe that will scare her enough to be like, this has to be it. You shouldn't work in pediatrics if you have that kind of punishing personality where someone doesn't like what you did and you retaliate. She said he had a decrease in activity, a decrease in appetite, a weak cry. She didn't ask you about his activity? No. You didn't volunteer information about his activity? Nope. She didn't even ask you about the appetite, the activity. Did he cry when he was in there that she could? You know what's crazy, dude? She noted that his mouth, his mucosa was dry. This little baby has been teething the most monstrous molars you've ever seen in your entire life. And I specifically recall him drooling down Brooklyn's arm in the visit. Because I remember being like, that's disgusting. <laughs> like there was just a pool of drool going down her arm. So it's just one mil. The only thing that's not fabricated is that we were there. <laughs> like We, we well, were there with her. I think the thing that could really put a nail in her coffin is that she fabricated these medical documents. Because even if you can't find a lawyer to sue her, she lied on a medical form. Can't you report her to the medical board and she can lose her life? Right. Yeah, so it and, seems like, and seems like is, insurance companies would be really interested in so the fact that she lies. We were self-pay. So maybe other insurance companies would be interested yeah. in this. So this happened Friday. The following Monday, I made my report to the Texas Medical Bureau. I also filed a report with the Attorney General's Office for Consumer Affairs. On Saturday, I was up here at my, my chocolate studio. I wrote a four-page detailed paper with timestamps and everything, just freshly recollecting. Not only, I mean, my email was super clear as it, as it stood. And I sent that shit 15 minutes after the visit. Like if that's not as fresh as you get, not, nothing is. But I wrote a four page Word document at 1230. We had our appointment at, you know, 12, blah, 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 blah. I still don't know though. 
if, if anyone's going to look into it or if there's going to be some like weaselly little technicality, because no one, if I were, I'm telling you guys this shit, if I had recorded that meeting instead of this podcast, I'd be on Good Morning America right now because it, w- it would be that fucking scathing to contradict. Yeah. The, the challenge that I'm going to have about the lies is that there was no recording device in the room. It's, it's well, said, she said, however, we were in the room with her for no more than five minutes. There's only so much shit you can pack into a five minute meeting. Like how many things are you going to have assessed for and talk to us about in a five minute setting? Like that's where she's going to be hitting the ceiling. I'm so thankful that I can say this, but it's also the most annoying part of all of this. The same freaking night his fever broke. So good, happy, yay. Like you're better. But God damn, if we had waited one more day, none of this would have happened. Um, and, and, we wouldn't have had to go through this, which brings me, I'm not a very like religious person, but someone on Instagram made a comment that said, maybe God put you in front of her because you were the ones that were going to put an end to what she does. And I hate that so much because like, I don't need any more things. Like I don't need to carry any more burdens on my shoulders. Like it's hard enough just like being alive and doing the things that I already do. It's a little bit true. It's like, there is no scenario on planet Earth in any time frame or any anything that I'm not going to fight to the literal death for my children. So unfortunately for this doctor, she she met her match. I've, I made I've made so many videos that I haven't posted because like I'm angry, but I don't like posting angry shit. It's not really who I am. But she met her match with me. You know, like she she's been a doctor for 30 years. And unfortunately for her, over those last 30 years, people have gotten better at challenging authority. They've gotten better at keeping receipts and technology exists that can help prove innocence. And unfortunately for her, she happened to get all three with me. I think you're right. People historically have not challenged authority. I remember that with my 13-year-old, I changed OBGYNs and I got my medical records. And I remember reading them and reading lots of things that had never happened. Ultimately, none of those things mattered. But I'll never forget how irritated I was. And so I think these things have been happening for a while, but it's rare that you find someone that's willing to fight. I think it's also rare on the other side to find someone so evil. I do think she's an outlier. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, And to be honest, I'm terrified. I don't know if I said this already. We have a pediatrician appointment, I think next week for Rowan. And I'm fucking scared. Like literal scared, plus all the publicity that this has gotten. I almost want to like be upfront and be like, listen, dude, I got some trauma. Like, can we just talk real quick about like, you know, because although I have a big social platform, I'm not like a social justice warrior, right? Like I'm not the kind of person that goes like, oh my God, my cheeseburger only had one pickle in it. Let me tell the world. Like this shit for me would have ended with a Google review and an email. You know, maybe I would have escalated the email. Like, no, seriously, I do want my refund, but I'm not going to take this to TikTok and be like, Wow, what a shitty experience I had at this dog. Zero percent. It was dead to me already. Three hours later, it was out of my mind. But when CPS knocks on my door, that lady like pulled the trigger on me. And it was not a kill shot. And I got back up. But it's illegal to make a false report. What she did is illegal. I'm waiting. The moment I get my cleared letter from CPS, I'm going to go to the Flower Mound Police Department and I'm going to file a police report against her. This is not going away for me. You know, the first video I made, I said I'm going to be an urgent care owner. So like I was being a little facetious <laughs> on that first video. I don't want money. Like they have Brooklyn are not wealthy by any means, but I don't need urgent care money. I don't ever want her to be able to see another patient. That's what I want. And that's going to be the hardest part about finding an attorney 
is like, oh, there's no money here. Like, but I'm not letting it go. The second urgent care that we took him to refuted everything on this lady's report and spent 30 minutes with the kid. Say, go home, watch him for a few days. If new symptoms arise, if the fever doesn't go away, come back and we'll, and we'll look into what we're going to do next. Same day. After CPS left, we were like, dude, let's just take him in tonight. Like, he still has a fever. We didn't even get the care that we wanted. Why wait tomorrow? Let's just take him in. Um, and I'm glad that we did because that's another just piece of damning evidence. Another doctor yeah. evaluated him. And I said this in the videos, but they described Rowan as pleasant and well-nourished. You know, like a happy baby. Yeah, man, like you don't resolve dehydration in four hours. I don't. I mean, I don't think anyways. But you know what else it is? It's a really good way to get CPS to show up. Apparently so. Weak cry. I had a doctor reach out to me be like, weak cry, dude, is like, that's like the thing to put on a report if you need this shit to get escalated. When that light bulb went off to me that I have that freaking ring camera in our living room, I was like, oh shit, like, let's see if we have anything on that ring camera. And like literally an hour before we were going, Rowan like stubbed his toe on the couch and just starts, you know, he let out like this whine. It's like, that doesn't sound weak to me. And then after the appointment, he's playing, like, throwing with all his freaking 19-month-old might footballs and stuff. It's like, this is not adding up. I, I finally had a conversation with the urgent care. They didn't respond to any of my emails. I emailed the CEO, and he referred me to, like, his senior medical advisor. And I could tell she felt genuine with her apology that this happened. Like, I could tell that she was like, fuck. Like, are you kidding me? But... It's corporate America. She she definitely hid behind like mandated reporter. Did they give you your money back? No. I haven't really pressed the issue though. Did you say that you were not going to the ER? I said so one she, sentence. This has felt very transactional. So she didn't know you weren't going to the ER. In her defense, it could she have maybe vibed like, oh, this guy doesn't, this guy thinks I'm full of shit. And then kind of extrapolated that to we're not going to follow her advice. Sure. But we never, I never told her, like, I'm not listening to you. Because it was an hour later and she had to, you know, doctor her forms up after she saw the review that she got in the email. Doesn't that sound crazy out loud? I didn't say like, hey, this feels transactional. Let's get the fuck out of here. You know, I said, (laughs) wow, this feels really transactional. Silence and leaving. Like, there was many opportunities her to be like, wait, hold on a second. What feels transactional? But she'd have to be a different fucking person to, to have said that. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, all the negative Google reviews that existed years prior, months prior, days prior, there's people that have individually reached out to me. My fatal sin in that room was disapproving of her care. That literally was the nail in our coffin. Because based on everything I've read about her from a constructive perspective, she does not respect parent opinions. She is the God in the room. You follow orders. And the moment I looked at her and said, what? This feels transactional. She knew right then and there what she was going to do. So then it's calculated because I was in the room and Miss Huston, if you're listening, you were in the room. You know what happened. She knows what happened. There was no emergency. There was no urgency to get to an ER. She just didn't want to deal with us. And when I expressed my dissatisfaction, boom. Done. As I told you, I've, I've gone through a similar situation. When I had a parent call a report in on me, what happened initially was I live on some property. So I have a, a bit of land in the front. I 
come home from picking the kids up from school and am greeted by a field of sheriff's cars. As a foster parent, your licensing specialist will show up as well. So she's there and CPI. And as soon as I saw the licensing specialist, because as a foster parent, you're always told it's not if, but when a parent at some point calls in on you. When I first saw the police, my heart through the roof. I'm thinking someone's dead. There's been an accident. Somebody's hurt. I'm totally freaking out that somebody's in danger. And then when I see my licensing specialist, I'm like, oh, that's what this is. But then I'm like, that's so weird. Like, none of my kids, like, who, who would have called a reporter? It was terrifying. They all come in, the sheriffs, like my house is flooded with these sheriffs with the CPI investigator. They don't look happy. Like they're not pleasant. They're not giving the kids reassuring smiles. I just received a placement who had just been removed from a pretty scary situation in his house where the police were called. There was a death involved. And this is like maybe a couple weeks later, he's in my house. And all of a sudden, the sheriffs are flooding my house. Nobody's giving the kids any type of like, hey, it's okay. All of my kids are sitting there with these big, huge eyes like, what is going on? The investigator, one by one, starts taking my kids from the littlest to the biggest out in the yard by themselves to investigate. And you have certain rights as a citizen when this happens. But when you're a foster parent, you have less rights. You can't say no to certain things. My kids were terrified. My kids were terrified. They weren't mean, but they were stern with everyone up until the point and I didn't even know like who's the child that this is called in on they don't even tell you any of that they were at my house for hours I'm like terrified because I've never had a situation in my life where like the police are coming for me in any type of questioning way in the end the child that it was in question for they just had to examine a part of this child's body and then they kind of chuckled and they made like a funny comment about the craziness of the report that was called in. And then they kind of like left up until that point. Like, why did you wait so long? First of all, like you're at my house for hours and you didn't say, Hey, can I look at this one part of this kid's body and see if this is actually an issue? Yeah. You think that would be like triage number one. Right. But no, first you have to terrify all my kids. And maybe if they had done that from the get go, maybe they still had to interview my kids, but maybe it wouldn't have been so like, aggressive this is where like subjectivity is just so dangerous in this stuff because like that's that's another thing that we feel fortunate you know it's not over yet so who knows like the divorce could be ahead of us but god damn let's hope not there were no cops that came with this report i feel like we did get a genuinely invested cps worker that that just wanted to find the truth and make sure that our kid was okay i think that we've got someone that isn't scorned by the system that hasn't seen enough terrible shit that she's already coming in with predispositions you know there were so many things that happened in our favor that could have gone terribly wrong. That one ornery guy could have come out. That could have been like, oh, I've seen this shit before. I'm bringing the cops. And all of a sudden, my demeanor probably changes at that point. If I get five cops and it's like, hold on, get the hell out of here. It, even coming down to me with the same scenario, if I had told her, like, I'm not complying with this, get out of here. Considering the severity of her report, she probably would have gone to get a court order. And then enough time would have passed where who knows what Brooklyn and I would have done. And what if she comes back with an order to remove him based on the circumstances? So much scary shit, all at the mercy of who is reporting, who is responding. It's just, there needs to be some sort of check and balance internal to those organizations. How did she treat you? Like, how did she treat the kids? Did they have to be interviewed? How did that go? There was mutual respect. I could tell she wanted to see the guy. She wanted to see Rowan. I could tell. She was like, I got to see that kid. 
Now, granted, I still could have been like, I don't care. <laughs> but, you know, that's where I said, like, I'm glad my wall came down a little bit to just see that perspective of where she was coming from. Like, all right, you think you have a report about some sick ass kid. Let me quell fears. She was hearing what we were saying. I felt like when she saw Rowan and she saw me and my wife and she was in our home, we have a clean house, obviously unannounced CPS visit. Like, you know, we're, we're not living in squalor. And this is all speculation. But I think that she started putting her own pieces together that was like, hold on, this this isn't quite adding up to what the report says. When she came on Tuesday, kind of same thing. She did talk to the kids. She said they don't have to talk. Both of them were like, yeah, sure, I'll talk. Ophelia's seven, Landon's 13. She did not talk to Rowan, but he only says mama, dada, and uh, no. <laughs> but yeah, no, listen to the kids, talk to them, ask them a handful of questions. Honestly, in general, if I were to leave a Google review, it would be four stars at minimum. It's not always that way. I think that's what happens is a lot of people see online people being told, don't talk to them. Don't open the door to them. You don't have to speak to them. I can't tell you how many kids have been placed in my home. And when I read the report, it is parent refused to talk to us. In parent- this scenario, under these circumstances, I would not change a thing so far. You know, she's looking for a deathly ill child from a report that I ascertained must have come from a doctor. I'm glad that I worked with her. I'm glad she came in because I think it did nothing but help us. Like we didn't have anything to hide. I didn't need to be overly confrontational. Like I said, I didn't sign her paper. I actually, when she came on Tuesday, Brooklyn had signed it and then she was having anxiety all weekend. Like shit, what did I sign? I was like, I'm pretty sure you just acknowledged that she was here. But when she came on Tuesday, she talked about that form. I was like, I'm sorry that I didn't sign. <laughs> Obviously it was not very lighthearted beating. I mean, it's still very like, very oh, serious. Shit. you know, have that one thread in my head. Like that one last video I saw that was like, tell CPS to fuck off. Like, I don't think it would have voted well for us. It would have hurt us. And in this instance, we didn't have an ill child. I don't know, man. I'm trying to think of a scenario where it would make sense to not cooperate. And I just, I don't necessarily, I don't know the answer. Like maybe if I open, in this instance, I don't think there is a scenario that exists because looking for a super ill kid, if we don't have one of those, I want you to see that as soon as possible. Like, yeah, come see that we do not have an ill child. Uh, I'm thankful that we worked with them. And like I said, it's not closed yet. But the days that go by, I'm a firm believer that no news is good news. Moving forward, you and your wife clearly are going to have some trauma from this. With the kids, I don't think that they really had like any negative feelings towards this. Like for Tuesday with the home visit, we just kind of sat down and we were like, hey, listen, do you remember we took Roman to the doctor on Friday? That doctor said that we weren't good parents. This lady is coming and she just wants to make sure that we are. So she might ask you some questions. It's no big deal. And then that that was like the end of it. Like that was the conversation with them. It was a little uncomfortable for them to answer questions. Like Ophelia like was cuddled up on the couch and was a little hesitant to talk. But ultimately like her and us, it was her choice. Like the CPS worker was like, you don't have to talk. And Ophelia was like, sure, I'll talk. And then Landon, he's 13. He's a little ornery in himself. But I mean, I could tell he was also a little uncomfortable, but answered the questions and then moved on. Like, you know, then nothing else happened. So I think that they're fine. Brooklyn and I, probably another story, like, it's like the word that I've used a lot is harrowing. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, like, I couldn't sleep. I I, I couldn't eat. Like, it was like horrendous because I just by nature, I'm like a problem solver. Like, put a problem in front of me. I'm going to, I'm going to just erase it. I don't want problems in my life. I want solutions and, and fixes. So to have this happen on Friday, then pretty much like Saturday, Sunday is like no business going on. Like nothing's happening. I was like beside myself. It's been, I can't even remember the last time I like, I wept like a child and I've done it twice in the last 10 days. Like just privately just fucking weeping because like, there's just no control over the situation. You're in this, like this thing that feels like this giant machine and 
you want to hope that there's good intentions, but you don't know what's going to happen at the end of the day. Like who's going to pick it up? Who's going to, you know, you just, you get those, those horror stories. So yeah, like knocks on the door, goose. I think I've gotten a little bit better, but still like you get that, like that adrenaline rush when it happens, like someone knocks at the door, we have ring doorbell. Every time I get a notification, someone's at your front, I'm like, oh shit. Like I have to rush to check it to see if someone's standing there or just a car that drove by. I didn't know that this existed that this world existed before this. Like I always looked at CPS as for bad parents. This is the first time that I'd ever been had an experience firsthand, of course, but even like second or third party hearing, like just a report was filed and you had to talk to CPS. Like I'd never heard of it before. And I don't know what that means for me moving forward. Like we talked a little bit about like all the messages that I have rolling in and, and parents telling me like, holy shit, this happened to me. But I hear about it. It's like, yeah, we brought our kid into the ER and he had 37 broken bones. It's like, well, shit, dude, like I can kind of see why, you know, a doctor would refer, you know, I don't know how to help people when it's not as cut and dry as that, you know, like, hey, we took our kid and they have this, they ended up having this bone disease that they have these little micro fractures because that's the big one, dude. Like that's where the majority of these stories are coming from. I took my kid because he hurt his finger. They x-rayed his arm. He had all these little broken bones. We don't abuse our kid. What's going on here? And CPS comes and, oh, you're done. You know, you're not having these kids. Isn't that kind of what the system is for? And the beginning, like, let's check this out. I don't agree with taking. If you're going to treat this as a disruption to family, take kids under suspicion is, I think, horrendous. I don't know how to fix that right now. And I don't know what my role looks like in that whole thing. But it's on me and my wife's mind of like, is this something that we're being called to do? is step up and like try to help this system find remedies to make it more objective. TBD. When this happened for me, you were talking about you weren't sleeping, you weren't eating. I also felt like I literally felt like I was hit by a train, like my whole body just like hurt physically from the trauma of that this, was my right? Wife. My wife had like that like phantom pain kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, I think she said she was like keeping her stress in like her hips or something. <laughs> It's I, like your I whole body. Like, I get I get heavy chested. Like that's where I was storing yeah. it all. That's like I get my, both. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Super fun. But like yeah. you can see how like these things have a physical toll on our bodies as adults. And when you think about how that happens to kids, and I'm telling you, the kids come to my house when they were removed. Mental space of someone having gone through that trauma, whether it's the child or the parent, whether it's suspicion or an actual removal, is horrendous and i just feel like sometimes that bar has not been met it's, it's just too traumatic for it to go without checks and balances like you can't rip a fucking family apart and then be like my bad <laughs> there just are not enough checks and balances there, in the system there needs to be like a jury because that's effectively what it is you're on trial you need a, a jury to like they used to do that in texas they don't they have it for about 10 years we don't do that in Florida either. But yes, you're completely right. We need a better checks and balances. And once you're aware that there are only a few people who hold so much power, you can't become unaware. Like you can't unring a bell. I don't think I'm ever going to not record anything again for my entire life because my biggest regret, and I don't hold, I'm not going to like hold myself too to the fire for this. If I had recorded this woman's visit, I think I would genuinely own the urgent care right now. Like <laughs> you, honestly, you would. The single grain of sand in the entire beach of possibility that anyone ever comes and tries to remove our children, I'm terrified.
yeah, dude. I mean, it's yeah. like one, you can't unring the bell and it's like, man, I'd never been afraid before. Ophelia was three or four and I was upstairs working and she fell off the bottom step and hit her head and like knocked out, like knocked out. And Brooklyn was like, yeah. And I was holding her and she was like coming too, but we took her to the emergency room and did a CT scan and everything. If that happened fucking tomorrow, I would be literally losing my mind yeah. with going into a doctor. And how that can't be the way medicine works in America. Like the worst thing that could come of this is if Brooklyn and I start questioning our ability as parents. So I don't think that we're going to see any big changes in the way that we parent. Probably just a little bit more diligence when it comes to going to doctors. And even then, dude, I want to be careful to not overstep because this is not the norm. And I need to hold myself accountable to that too. We've been taking our kids to the doctors for 13 years. This has never happened to us. So we're talking about probably hundreds and hundreds of visits yeah. over the years. And we have one person that did this to us. I can't have this skew how I look at the medical profession. I mean, I think there's obviously going to be repercussions and things that come up that I can't control. Like, I'm scared right now about our pediatric appointment next week. I think that we'll move on from that and hopefully be blissfully ignorant again soon. I'm kidding. Oh, hopefully so. Part. What advice do you have for parents who are going through similar things? Just believe in yourself. And like, if you're a good parent, you're not on trial. It feels like you're on trial. But if you don't have anything to hide, just... You can't become a cynical human being because you have one bad experience or, or exposure to like the underworld of of this society that we live in you know the best way through it is through it and just try to stay objective and and believe that people generally are operating from from a place of good and you know call an attorney you know call, call i talked to uh, 10 attorneys and the two that i had extensive conversations with both of them told me I didn't need them, but call them and see what they say. Brooklyn and I both come from like extremely broken homes. But my number one like quest in life is to give my kids what I didn't get. And same thing from Brooklyn to give our kids what they did not get, what we did not get. So it's like almost a little piece of like poetic irony that we have CPS involved in our lives when like I could have used that the most when I was a kid or Brooklyn could have right? used she was a kid. I'm just a stupid comedian that does silly videos on the internet. I'm not, I don't know what my path is on, on all this. I, I know that I'm not like some social justice warrior. I honestly don't think that I have what it takes. Um, but for my family, um, she unfortunately, she stuck a, a stick into a hornet's nest with us. Thank you so much for joining us today. Make sure you subscribe and follow us on social. We hope that you join us again next time and keep on fostering the future.